0: past noon and time for a look at local and state news i'm Julie hersey with these stories a landslide about five miles south of petersburg caused a power outage last night phone lines and internet also down in parts of town the slide happened at about 4 30 in the afternoon and sent a stack of trees and debris across the mickoff highway the main road on the island connecting downtown petersburg to many residents that live out the road And as of last night, there were no known injuries and no houses were known to be damaged. A team of responders with Petersburg Fire and EMS was still searching the debris last night. Here's Jim Stolpe, Fire Chief.
1: We're still searching the pile. I've got guys on the other side and I've got two people searching the pile that you see at the bottom on that side of the road. Because if there was a car there when it came through then that's what that's what we need to find out so there is a little bit of of super serious tension right now
0: that was last night and it was uh, determined that no casualties were found last night stopy said one shed was destroyed likely it was a school bus shelter and fire department spokesman dave berg said the damage to infrastructure was extensive the slide damaged phone fiber optics and power cables berg says the internet is also connected at another location so the island won't fully lose access he said the alaska department of transportation dot is responsible for removing debris as the road is an alaska state highway Petersburg resident Jeff Hupp lives about four miles south of the slide, and he was driving on the road at the time it happened.
1: I was on the road. I just picked up the family. We were taking the girls in to do trick-or-treating. And by the time I drove from their house to Scal Bay to the store, the power was out.
0: Petersburg Borough issued a statement about the slide. They said one SEPA, Pole was destroyed and another damaged. SEPA is the southeast Alaska power agency that brings hydroelectric power to Petersburg. The landslide also damaged the connection to the Blind Slough hydroelectric power system. And the borough said it's likely that many customers south of the slide will be without power until the SEPA line is repaired. And this is our update. The road has been cleared at five and a half mile. It's open to through traffic, and there's still some mud on the road. There are flaggers, dump trucks, power and light workers out there getting the road cleared, and that they ask that you slow down going through the area. And there's still no power between 4.8 mile to 6.7 mile. All other areas have been restored, and for those without power, there's no known time frame for repair, but a SEPA emergency crew is arriving on the jet from Anchorage, and they'll begin repairs continuing through the night until power is restored. After a lukewarm reception, the Southeast Alaska Regional Subsistence Advisory Council voted unanimously to advance a proposal that would open federal subsistence hunts and fisheries to Ketchikan residents. The board's vote triggers a two-year study of the proposal, which would officially designate Ketchikan as a rural community under federal subsistence regulations. The decision came after hours of public testimony advocating for the change. Reagan Miller has this report.
2: For decades, Ketchikan has been considered an urban area by the Federal Subsistence Board. Ketchikan's tribe has been pushing to change that. Tribal officials submitted a proposal to redesignate Ketchikan as a rural area in May. Shuxi Bennett is the president of Ketchikan Indian Community. She told the board at a meeting in Ketchikan that the designation is one step toward fixing things that are out of balance in the community, particularly for Native residents.
3: I felt like I should come here and sing a morning song because I feel like we're going to be in mourning until we have this balance in our community for our people.
2: Judy Leesk Guthrie has lived in both Ketchikan and Metlakatla. She says the ability to hunt on federal lands would keep her family from paying for pricey processed foods at the store and from having to travel far away for a hunt.
3: It, uh, it, it might take a lot of work to be able to go out and harvest these things, and it might not cost any money. But it's a lot of work. It's sometimes a lot of days away from our families. But at the same time, it means that we don't have to go to Safeway and buy meat or fish.
2: Tony Gallegos is the cultural resources director for Ketchikan's tribe. He voiced frustration that, with Ketchikan listed as non-rural, residents can't collect ooligan from the Unuk River. Ooligan is a subsistence staple. It's an oily fish commonly used as a source of fat.
1: What does ooligan taste like? Uh, uh, We're losing that and that connection. So we're trying to open that up, but even though the fishery has been opened, we are not federally recognized subsistence users.
2: But the council wasn't immediately open to the idea. Councilmember Louis Wagner, Jr. of Metlakatla voiced concern for how Prince of Wales Island would be affected by an influx of hunters.
1: Um, This is really serious. It's going to put a huge impact on the villages, and especially Prince of Wales.
2: And Goon's Albert Howard agreed with Wagner. He said he was worried about the already struggling deer population on Prince of Wales Island.
1: We're just opening something uh, that we may pay a price for later.
2: But Kenan Sanderson, the tribe's indigenous food expert, noted that even if Ketchikan hunters were allowed more area on the island, resident hunters would be prioritized first under federal law.
1: If federal managers think that sustained harvest pressure at the reduced number, they can and, in my opinion, should exclude people who are not from that area to harvest.
2: But after a parade of speakers delivered hours of passionate testimony in favor of opening federal subsistence hunts and fisheries to Ketchikan residents, the council unanimously voted to move the proposal forward. Councilmember John Smith of Juneau said he'd been convinced it was necessary.
1: And I hear that. Uh, Catch can, just from testimony that they need this healing. So I really believe this is really important.
2: Member Jim Slater of Pelican says it was the testimony that also changed his mind.
1: When I first read this uh, in preparation for the meeting, I was somewhat conflicted on it, uh, sharing the concerns of uh, of Louis uh, that uh, as we make more and more people rural, uh, and you know, in the fact that everyone becomes rural then no one's rural, essentially.
2: Councilmember Harvey Kitka of Sitka also supported the proposal.
1: Uh, This is just a small baby step, and uh, it's going to take a long time for it to, to come about.
2: Brent Vickers from the Interior Department's Office of Subsistence Management told the council that the tribe's proposal met all requirements to be considered by the federal board.
1: And so the four threshold requirements are just those four questions. There's not a matrix. There's not a it needs to contain six of these and three of these to meet this Uh, really just comes down to is the was there information not considered?
2: Bigger questions like discussions about what makes Ketchikan rural and why residents should have access to subsistence opportunities will be handled at later meetings.
1: The full analysis takes two years during which OSM will hold a public meeting here in Ketchikan where people, tribes, and organizations can comment on the rural character of Ketchikan.
2: The council wrapped its three-day meeting on Thursday. Rural designation proposals are considered in two-year cycles. Ketchikan is the only Southeast community seeking that designation this cycle. Moving the proposal forward is a big step, but changes won't start happening until at least 2025, when the federal board is slated to take up the issue. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller.
0: Wrangell could have an expanded trail system as soon as next summer thanks to a federal land access grant. But as Sage Smiley reports, engineering a new trail down a small mountain across woodlands and wet muskeg is no walk in the park.
3: It's a typical southeast autumn day of whipping wind and driving rain as a small group gathers at the base of Mount Dewey above downtown (laughs) Wrangell.
0: Um, Thanks for joining us. This is our public walk through the Mount Dewey Trail Extension, otherwise known as the Non-Motorized Transportation
3: System. After Wrangell Capital Facilities Director Amber Al-Haddad introduces the project, the group starts the hike up the forested hill. The existing Mount Dewey Trail sneaks in a curve, sort of shaped like a foot, around the side and up the back of the hill, ending in an overlooked platform set above town. Wrangell has a federal land access grant of just over $900,000 to expand the trail system by three-quarters of a mile. It will extend the trail down the backside of Mount Dewey across a muskeg and connect it to the road that leaps between the airport and town. The Mount Dewey Trail extension has been in the works for almost a decade when the community first secured a National Park Service technical grant. Landscape architect Christopher Myrtle with Corvus Design and P&D engineers out of Juneau were hired early last year to complete the project based on plans that came out of that grant. Well, welcome
1: to the start of the new trail, the spur.
3: Myrtle says there's a lot of thought, planning and engineering that goes into putting a trail on a fairly wild hillside and across a muskeg.
1: But really, you're looking at drain natural features. You, you want to try to get a trail that has, uh, you know, a level of difficulty, uh, s- steepness, um, and look at the materials so that it matches your anticipated user of the trail. Um, but you also want to make sure you have a good user experience. You know that you get to experience the land, the landscape, and cool things along the way.
3: Myrtle says that includes a fair amount of footwork, literally, placing flagging tape one way, backtracking and editing the path, adapting and changing until it has the right feel.
1: You walk it many, many times Maybe to get, yeah. to get a, the feel for the land and see where the trail lays in nicely.
3: Ballpark? How many times do you think you've walked, walked this? Uh, put
1: it this way, there's probably no footsteps here or trail here when we start. <laughs> so you can see there's a pretty good trail established. Um,
3: There's a rainbow collection of flagging tape along the brushy path, red, blue, orange, pink.
1: For the most part, red is me.
3: Two-thirds of the new trail will be aggregate, or rock, and the rest step and run timber trail like the current Mount Dewey boardwalk. Further down the side of the hill, the path isn't as clear, save for the flagging tape. Yellowing Devil's Club and thick moss cover the ground beneath the typical Tongass mix of hemlock, sitka, spruce, and yellow cedar. After a bit of slipping and sliding under and over logs and along the proposed switchback, the ground levels.
1: So now that we've come off the backside of Mount Dewey and the side slope is where we change the trail into gravel. We've got gentler. Flatter slopes through here.
3: Another minute of walking and the forest breaks. The ground begins to have the characteristic muskeg squelching and the trees thin into scrubby lodgepole pines and other muskeg brush. This is where the traditional gravel trail will transition into what's called geocell. Myrtle explains it's a trail material that will sort of float over the muskeg. So how much of the trail needs to be floated then over this over the muskeg area?
1: You hear squish squish squish. <laughs>
3: That's about a third of the trail or a quarter of a mile. As part of the process to design the trail extension, Wrangell has had to seek approval from the United States Army Corps of Engineers and do some what's called compensatory mitigation for the impact to the wetlands. That'll cost about $24,000. This muskeg isn't entirely pristine wilderness, though. It's already used by locals for motorized recreation. Back in 2014, during public listening sessions, Wrangell residents expressed serious concerns about how a trail could impact snow machining and other motorized recreating in muskeg areas. The trail funding is focused on non-motorized transport, but Myrtle says they're doing the best they can to accommodate everyone who ventures into the muskeg. The new trail will also allow for future expansion. Partway through the Muskeg, we make a turn, and Myrtle stops again.
1: This is what's going to be a larger arterial trail that connects Bennett or Airport Road. That's going to run all the way over to Petroca Beach.
3: And then the road, Bennett Drive, also known as the Airport Loop.
1: We've arrived.
3: (laughs) The trailhead will include a few parking stalls, a doggy bag dispenser, and a park bench. The total projected cost is just over $1 million. Most of the funding will come from the federal land grant. There's been nearly a decade of planning, waiting and revising to make this trail extension a reality, says al Haddad with the Wrangell Borough.
0: So in the end, if we construct by this uh, next summer, 2023, it will have been a 10 year uh, project, planning and construction project.
3: In the world of capital projects, though, al Haddad says it's actually a fairly average timeline and it's worth the wait to find the proper funding and do the process right to let Wrangell Trail users experience a bit more of the forest and wetlands just outside their doors. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley.